Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Part 18 of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 18. Gave the soldier the preference. July 27, 1863, Lincoln wrote the Postmaster General. Yesterday, little endorsement of mine went to you in two cases of postmasterships sought for widows whose husbands have fallen in the battles of this war. These cases, occurring on the same day, brought me to reflect more attentively than what I had before done as to what is fairly due from us here in dispensing of patronage toward the men who, by fighting our battles, bear the chief burden of saving our country. My conclusion is that, other claims and qualifications being equal, they have the right, and this is especially applicable to the disabled soldier and the deceased soldier's family. The President was not scared. When told how uneasy all had been at his going to Richmond, Lincoln replied, Why, if anyone else had been President and had gone to Richmond, I would have been alarmed, but I was not scared about myself a bit. Jeff Davis replied to Lincoln. On the 20th of July, 1864, Horace Greeley crossed into Canada to confer with refugee rebels at Niagara. He bore with him this paper from the President. To whom it may concern, any proposition which embraces the restoration of peace, the integrity of the whole Union, and the abandonment of slavery, and which comes by and with an authority that can control the armies now at war with the United States, will be received and considered by the executive government of the United States, and will be met by liberal terms and other substantial and collateral points, and the bearer or bearers thereof shall have safe conduct both ways. To this Jefferson Davis replied, We are not fighting for slavery, we are fighting for independence. Lincoln was a gentleman. Lincoln was compelled to contend with the results of the ill-judged zeal of politicians who forced ahead his flatboat and rail-splitting record with the homely surroundings of his earlier days, and thus obscured for the time the other fact that, always having the heart, he had long since acquired the manners of a true gentleman. So, too, did he suffer from eastern censors, who did not take those surroundings into account, and allowed nothing for his originality of character. One of these critics heard at Washington that Mr. Lincoln, in speaking at different times of some move or thing, said it had petered out, that some other one's plan wouldn't jibe, and being asked if the war and the cause of the Union were not a great care to him, replied, yes, it is a heavy hog to hold. The first two phrases are so familiar here in the West that they need no explanation. Of the last and more pioneer one, it may be said that it had a special force and was peculiarly Lincoln-like in the way applied by him. 
in the early times in illinois those having hogs did their own killing assisted by their neighbors stripped of its hair one held the carcass nearly perpendicular in the air head down while others put one point of the gambrel bar through a slit in its hawk then over the string pole and the other point through the other hawk and so swung the animal clear of the ground while all this was being done it took a good man to hold the hog greasy warmly moist and weighing some two hundred pounds and often those with the gambrel prolonged the strain being provokingly slow in hopes to make the holder drop his burden this latter thought is again expressed where president lincoln writing of the peace which he hoped would come soon to stay and so come as to be worth the keeping in all future time added that while there would be some black men who can remember that with silent tongue and clenched teeth and steady eye and well-poised bayonet they have helped mankind on to this great consummation he feared there would be some white ones unable to forget that with malignant heart and deceitful tongue they had striven to hinder it he had two seemingly opposite elements little understood by strangers and which those in more intimate relations with him find difficult to explain an open boyish tongue when in a happy mood and with this a reserve of power a force of thought that impressed itself without words on observers in his presence with the cares of the nation on his mind he became more meditative and lost much of his lively ways remembered back in illinois his poor relations one of the most beautiful traits of mr lincoln's character was his considerate regard for the poor and obscure relatives he had left plodding along in their humble ways of life wherever upon his circuit he found them he always went to their dwellings ate with them and when convenient made their houses his home he never assumed in their presence the slightest superiority to them he gave them money when they needed it and he had it countless times he was known to leave his companions at the village hotel after a hard day's work in the courtroom and spend the evening with these old friends and companions of his humbler days on one occasion when urged not to go he replied why aunt's heart would be broken if i should leave town without calling upon her yet he was obliged to walk several miles to make the call deserter sins washed out in blood this was the reply made by lincoln to an application for the pardon of a soldier who had shown himself brave in war had been severely wounded but afterward deserted did you say he was once badly wounded then as the scriptures say that in the shedding of blood is the remission of sins i guess we'll have to let him off this time sure cure for boils president lincoln and postmaster general blair were talking of the war blair said the president did you ever know that fright has sometimes proven a cure for boils no mr president how is that well i'll tell you not long ago when a colonel with his cavalry was at the front and the rebs were making things rather lively for us the colonel was ordered out to a reconnaissance he was troubled at the time with a big boil where it made horseback riding decidedly uncomfortable he finally dismounted and ordered the troops forward without him 
soon he was startled by the rapid reports of pistols and the helter-skelter approach of his troops in full retreat before a yelling rebel force he forgot everything but the yells sprang into his saddle and made capital time over the fence and ditches till safe within the lines the pain from his boil was gone and the boil too and the colonel swore that there was no cure for boils so sure as fright from rebel yells pay for everything when president lincoln issued a military order it was usually expressive as the following shows war department washington july twenty two sixty two first ordered that military commanders within the states of virginia south carolina georgia florida alabama mississippi louisiana texas and arkansas in an orderly manner seize and use any property real or personal which may be necessary or convenient for their several commands for supplies or for other military purposes and that while property may be all stored for proper military objects none shall be destroyed in wantonness or malice second that military and naval commanders shall employ as laborers within and from said states so many persons of african descent as can be advantageously used for military or naval purposes giving them reasonable wages for their labor third that as to both property and persons of african descent accounts shall be kept sufficiently accurate and in detail to show quantities and amounts and from whom both property and such persons shall have come as a basis upon which compensation can be made in proper cases and the several departments of this government shall attend to and perform their appropriate parts towards the execution of these orders by order of the president bashful with ladies judge david davis justice of the united states supreme court and united states senator from illinois was one of lincoln's most intimate friends he told this story on abe lincoln was very bashful when in the presence of ladies i remember once we were invited to take tea at a friend's house and while in the parlor i was called to the front gate to see someone when i returned lincoln who had undertaken to entertain the ladies was twisting and squirming in his chair and as bashful as a schoolboy saw humor in everything there was much that was irritating and uncomfortable in the circuit writing of the illinois court but there was more which was amusing to a temperament like lincoln's the freedom the long days in the open air the unexpected if trivial adventures the meeting with wayfarers and settlers all was an entertainment to him he found humor and human interest on the route where his companions saw nothing but commonplaces he saw the ludicrous in an assemblage of fowls said h c whitney one of his fellow itinerants in a man spading his garden in a clothesline full of clothes in a group of boys in a lot of pigs rooting at a mill door in a mother duck teaching her brood to swim in everything and anything specific for foreign rash it was in the latter part of eighteen sixty three that russia offered its friendship to the united states and sent a strong fleet of warships together with munitions of war to this country to be used in any way the president might see fit 
russia was not friendly to england and france these nations having defeated her in the crimea a few years before as great britain and the emperor of the french were continually bothering him president lincoln used russia's kindly feelings and action as a means of keeping the other two powers named in a neutral state of mind underneath the cartoon we here reproduce which was labeled drawing things to a head and appeared in the issue of harper's weekly of november twenty eighth eighteen sixty three was this dr lincoln to smart boy of the shop mild applications of russian salve for our friends over the way and heavy doses and plenty of it for our southern patient secretary of state seward was the smart boy of the shop and our friend over the way were england and france the latter bothered president lincoln no more but it is a fact that the confederate privateer alabama was manned almost entirely by british seamen also that when the alabama was sunk by the kearsarge in the summer of eighteen sixty four the confederate seamen were picked up by an english vessel taken to southampton and set at liberty favored the other side lincoln was candor itself when conducting his side of a case in court general mason brayman tells this story as an illustration it is well understood by the profession that lawyers do not read authors favoring the opposite side i once heard mr lincoln in the supreme court of illinois reading from a reported case some strong points in favor of his argument reading a little too far and before becoming aware of it plunged into an authority against himself pausing a moment he drew up his shoulders in a comical way and half laughing went on there there may it please the court i reckon i've scratched up a snake but as i'm in for it i guess i'll read it through then in his most ingenious and matchless manner he went on with his argument and won his case convincing the court that it was not much of a snake after all lincoln and the show lincoln was fond of going all by himself to any little show or concert he would often slip away from his fellow lawyers and spend the entire evening at a little magic lantern show intended for children a traveling concert company was always sure of drawing lincoln a mrs hillis a member of the newhall family and a good singer was the only woman who ever seemed to exhibit any liking for him so lincoln said he attended a negro minstrel show in chicago once where he heard dixie sung it was entirely new and pleased him greatly mixing and mingling an eastern newspaper writer told how lincoln after his first nomination received callers the majority of them at his law office while talking to two or three gentlemen and standing up a very hard-looking customer rolled in and tumbled into the only vacant chair and the one lately occupied by mr lincoln mr lincoln's keen eye took in the fact but gave no evidence of the notice turning around at last he spoke to the odd specimen holding out his hand at such a distance that our friend had to vacate the chair if he accepted the proffered shake mr lincoln quietly resumed his chair it was a small matter yet one giving proof more positively than a larger event of that peculiar way the man has of mingling with a mixed crowd took part of the blame 
among the lawyers who traveled the circuit with lincoln was usher f linder whose daughter rose linder wilkinson has left many lincoln reminiscences one case in which mr lincoln was interested concerned a member of my own family said mrs wilkinson my brother dan in the heat of a quarrel shot a young man named ben boyle and was arrested my father was seriously ill with inflammatory rheumatism at the time and could scarcely move hand or foot he certainly could not defend dan i was his secretary and i remember it was but a day or so after the shooting till letters of sympathy began to pour in in the first bundle which i picked up there was a big letter the handwriting on which i recognized as that of mr lincoln the letter was very sympathetic i know how you feel lender it said i can understand your anger as a father added to all the other sentiments but may we not be in a measure to blame we have talked about the defense of criminals before our children about our success in defending them have left the impression that the greater the crime the greater the triumph of securing an acquittal dan knows your success as a criminal lawyer and he depends on you little knowing that of all cases you would be of least value in this he concluded by offering his services an offer which touched my father to tears mr lincoln tried to have dan released on bail but ben boyle's family and friends declared the wounded man would die and feeling had grown so bitter that the judge would not grant any bail so the case was changed to marshall county but as ben finally recovered it was dismissed thought of learning a trade lincoln at one time thought seriously of learning the blacksmith's trade he was without means and felt the immediate necessity of undertaking some business that would give him bread while entertaining this project an event occurred which in his undetermined state of mind seemed to open a way to success in another quarter reuben radford keeper of a small store in the village of new salem had incurred the displeasure of the clary grove boys who exercised their regulating prerogatives by irregularly breaking his windows william g green a friend of young lincoln writing by radford's store soon afterwards was hailed by him and told that he intended to sell out mr green went into the store and offered him at random four hundred dollars for his stock which offer was immediately accepted lincoln happened in the next day and being familiar with the value of the goods mr green proposed to him to take an inventory of the stock to see what sort of a bargain he had made this he did and it was found that the goods were worth six hundred dollars lincoln then made an offer of a hundred and twenty-five for his bargain with the proposition that he and a man named barry as his partner take over green's notes given to radford mr green agreed to the arrangement but radford declined it except on condition that green would be their security green at last assented lincoln was not afraid of the clary grove boys on the contrary they had been his most ardent friends since the time he thrashed jack armstrong champion bully of the grove but their custom was not heavy the business soon became a wreck green had to not only assist in closing it up but pay radford's notes as well lincoln afterwards spoke of these notes which he finally made good to green as the national debt
lincoln defends fifteen misses nations when lincoln's sympathies were enlisted in any cause he worked like a giant to win at one time about eighteen fifty five he was in attendance upon court at the little town of clinton illinois and one of the cases on the docket was where fifteen women from a neighboring village were defendants they having been indicted for trespass their offence as duly set forth in the indictment was that of swooping down upon one tanner the keeper of a saloon in the village and knocking in the heads of his barrels lincoln was not employed in the case but sat watching the trial as it proceeded in defending the ladies their attorney seemed to evince a little want of tact and this prompted one of the former to invite mr lincoln to add a few words to the jury if he thought he could aid their cause he was too gallant to refuse and their attorney having consented he made use of the following argument in this case i would change the order of indictment and have it read the state versus mr whiskey instead of the state versus the ladies and touching these there are three laws the law of self-protection the law of the land or statute law and the moral law or law of god first the law of self-protection is a law of necessity as evinced by our forefathers in casting the tea overboard and asserting their right to the pursuit of life liberty and happiness in this case it is the only defence the ladies have for tanner neither feared god nor regarded man second the law of the land or statute law and tanner is recreant to both third the moral law or law of god and this is probably a law for the violation of which the jury can fix no punishment lincoln gave some of his own observations on the ruinous effects of whiskey in society and demanded its early suppression after he had concluded the court without awaiting the return of the jury dismissed the ladies saying ladies go home i will require no bond of you and if any fine is ever wanted of you we will let you know avoided even appearance of evil frank w tracy president of the first national bank of springfield tells a story illustrative of two traits in mr lincoln's character shortly after the national banking law went into effect the first national of springfield was chartered and mr tracy wrote to mr lincoln with whom he was well acquainted in a business way and tendered him an opportunity to subscribe for some of the stock in reply to the kindly offer mr lincoln wrote thanking mr tracy but at the same time declining to subscribe he said he recognized that stock in a good national bank would be a good thing to hold but he did not feel that he ought as president profit from a law which had been passed under his administration he seemed to wish to avoid even the appearance of evil said mr tracy in telling of the incident and so the act proved both his unvarying probity and his unfailing policy war didn't admit of holidays lincoln wrote a letter on october second eighteen sixty two in which he observed i sincerely wish war was a pleasanter and easier business than it is but it does not admit of holidays neutrality old john bull got himself into a precious fine scrape when he went so far as to play double with the north as well as the south during the great american civil war 
in its issue of november fourteenth eighteen sixty three london punch printed a rather clever cartoon illustrating the predicament bull had created for himself john is being lectured by mrs north and mrs south both good talkers and eminently able to hold their own in either social conversation parliamentary debate or political argument but he bears it with the best grace possible this is the way the text underneath the picture runs mrs north how about the alabama you wicked old man mrs south where's my rams take back your precious console there punch had a good deal of fun with old john before it was through with him but as the confederate privateer alabama was sent beneath the waves of the ocean at cherbourg by the kearsarge and mrs south had no need for any more rams john got out of the difficulty without personal injury it was a tight squeeze, though, for Mrs. North was in a fighting humor, and prepared to scratch or pull hair. The fact that the privateer Alabama, built at an English shipyard and manned almost entirely by English sailors, had managed to do about $10 million worth of damage to United States commerce was enough to make anyone angry. Days of Gladness Passed after the war was well on a patriot woman of the west urged president lincoln to make hospitals at the north where the sick from the army of the mississippi could revive in a more bracing air among other reasons she said feelingly if you grant my petition you will be glad as long as you live with a look of sadness impossible to describe the president said i shall never be glad any more wouldn't take the money lincoln always regarded himself as the friend and protector of unfortunate clients and such he would never press for pay for his services a client named cogdall was unfortunate in business and gave a note in settlement of legal fees soon afterward he met with an accident by which he lost a hand meeting lincoln some time after on the steps of the state house the kind lawyer asked him how he was getting along badly enough replied cogdall i am both broken up in business and crippled then he added i have been thinking about that note of yours lincoln who had probably known all about cogdall's troubles and had prepared himself for the meeting took out his pocket-book and saying with a laugh well you needn't think any more about it handed him the note cogdall protesting lincoln said even if you had the money, I would not take it, and hurried away. End of Part 18 Part 19 of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 19 Grant held on all the time dispatch to general grant august seventeenth eighteen sixty four i have seen your dispatch expressing your unwillingness to break your hold where you are neither am i willing hold on with a bulldog grip chewed the cud in solitude as a student if such a term could be applied to lincoln one who did not know him might have called him indolent he would pick up a book and run rapidly over the pages pausing here and there at the end of an hour never more than two or three hours he would close the book stretch himself out on the office lounge 
and then with hands under his head and eyes shut would digest the mental food he had just taken abe's yankee ingenuity war governor richard yates he was elected governor of illinois in 1860 when lincoln was first elected president told a good story at springfield illinois about lincoln one day the latter was in the sangamon river with his trousers rolled up five feet more or less trying to pilot a flatboat over a mill dam the boat was so full of water that it was hard to manage lincoln got the prow over and then instead of waiting to bail the water out bored a hole through the projecting part and let it run out affording a forcible illustration of the ready ingenuity of the future president lincoln paid homage to washington the martyr president thus spoke of washington in the course of an address washington is the mightiest name on earth long since the mightiest in the cause of civil liberty still mightiest in moral reformation on that name a eulogy is expected it cannot be to add brightness to the sun or glory to the name of washington is alike impossible let none attempt it in solemn awe pronounce the name and in its naked deathless splendor leave it shining on stirred even the reporters lincoln's influence upon his audiences was wonderful he could sway people at will and nothing better illustrates his extraordinary power than the manner in which he stirred up the newspaper reporters by his bloomington speech joseph medell editor of the chicago tribune told the story it was my journalistic duty though a delegate to the convention to make a long-hand report of the speeches delivered for the tribune i did make a few paragraphs of what lincoln said in the first eight or ten minutes but i became so absorbed in his magnetic oratory that i forgot myself and ceased to take notes and joined with the convention in cheering and stamping and clapping to the end of his speech i well remember that after lincoln sat down and calm had succeeded the tempest i waked out of a sort of hypnotic trance and then thought of my report for the paper there was nothing written but an abbreviated introduction it was some sort of satisfaction to find that i had not been scooped as all the newspaper men present had been equally carried away by the excitement caused by the wonderful oration and had made no report or sketch of the speech when abe came in when abe was fourteen years of age john hanks journeyed from kentucky to indiana and lived with the lincolns he described abe's habits thus when lincoln and i returned to the house from work he would go to the cupboard snatch a piece of cornbread take down a book sit down on a chair cock his legs up as high as his head and read he and i worked barefooted grubbed it ploughed mowed cradled together ploughed corn gathered it and shucked corn abe read constantly when he had an opportunity eternal fidelity to the cause of liberty during the harrison presidential campaign of eighteen forty lincoln said in a speech at springfield illinois many free countries have lost their liberty and ours may lose hers but if she shall be at my proudest plume not that i was last to desert but that i never deserted her 
i know that the great volcano at washington aroused and directed by the evil spirit that reigns there is belching forth the lava of political corruption in a current broad and deep which is sweeping with frightful velocity over the whole length and breadth of the land bidding fair to leave unscathed no green spot or living thing i cannot deny that all may be swept away broken by it i too may be bow to it i never will the possibility that we may fail in the struggle ought not to deter us from the support of a cause which we believe to be just it shall never deter me if ever i feel the soul within me elevate and expand to those dimensions not wholly unworthy of its almighty architect it is when i contemplate the cause of my country deserted by all the world beside and i standing up boldly alone and hurling defiance at her victorious oppressors here without contemplating consequences before heaven and in the face of the world i swear eternal fidelity to the just cause as i deem it of the land of my life my liberty and my love and who that thinks with me will not fearlessly adopt the oath that i take let none falter who thinks he is right and we may succeed but if after all we shall fail be it so we have the proud consolation of saying to our consciences and to the departed shade of our country's freedom that the cause approved of our judgment and adorned of our hearts in disaster in chains in death we never faltered in defending abe's defalcations lincoln could not rest for an instant under the consciousness that even unwittingly he had defrauded anybody on one occasion while clerking in offutt's store at new salem he sold a woman a little bale of goods amounting by the reckoning to two dollars and twenty cents he received the money and the woman went away on adding the items of the bill again to make himself sure of correctness he found that he had taken six and a quarter cents too much it was night and closing and locking the store he started out on foot a distance of two or three miles for the house of his defrauded customer and delivering to her the sum whose possession had so much troubled him went home satisfied on another occasion just as he was closing the store for the night a woman entered and asked for half a pound of tea the tea was weighed out and paid for and the store was left for the night the next morning lincoln when about to begin the duties of the day discovered a four ounce weight on the scales he saw at once that he had made a mistake and shutting the store he took a long walk before breakfast to deliver the remainder of the tea these are very humble incidents but they illustrate the man's perfect conscientiousness his sensitive honesty better perhaps than they would if they were of greater moment he wasn't guileless leonard sweat of chicago whose counsels were doubtless among the most welcome to lincoln in summing up lincoln's character said from the commencement of his life to its close i have sometimes doubted whether he ever asked anybody's advice about anything he would listen to everybody he would hear everybody but he rarely if ever asked for opinions 
as a politician and as president he arrived at all his conclusions from his own reflections and when his conclusions were once formed he never doubted but what they were right one great public mistake of his lincoln's character as generally received and acquiesced in is that he is considered by the people of this country as a frank guileless and unsophisticated man there never was a greater mistake beneath a smooth surface of candor and apparent declaration of all his thoughts and feelings he exercised the most exalted tact and wisest discrimination he handled and moved men remotely as we do pieces upon a chessboard he retained through life all the friends he ever had and he made the wrath of his enemies to praise him this was not by cunning or intrigue in the low acceptance of the term but by far-seeing reason and discernment he always told only enough of his plans and purposes to induce the belief that he had communicated all yet he reserved enough to have communicated nothing sweet but mild revenge when the united states found that a war with black hawk could not be dodged governor reynolds of illinois issued a call for volunteers and among the companies that immediately responded was one from menard county illinois many of these volunteers were from new salem and clary grove and lincoln being out of business was the first to enlist the company being full the men held a meeting at richmond for the election of officers lincoln had won many hearts and they told him that he must be their captain it was an office to which he did not aspire and for which he felt he had no special fitness but he finally consented to be a candidate there was but one other candidate a mr kirkpatrick who was one of the most influential men of the region previously kirkpatrick had been an employer of lincoln and was so overbearing in his treatment of the young man that the latter left him the simple mode of electing a captain adopted by the company was by placing the candidates apart and telling the men to go and stand with the one they preferred lincoln and his competitor took their positions and then the word was given at least three out of every four went to lincoln at once when it was seen by those who had arranged themselves with the other candidate that lincoln was the choice of the majority of the company they left their places one by one and came over to the successful side until lincoln's opponent in the friendly strife was left standing almost alone i felt badly to see him cut so said a witness of the scene here was an opportunity for revenge the humble laborer was his employer's captain but the opportunity was never improved mr lincoln frequently confessed that no subsequent success of his life had given him half the satisfaction that this election did didn't trust the court in one of his many stories of lincoln his law partner w h herndon told this as illustrating lincoln's shrewdness as a lawyer i was with lincoln once and listened to an oral argument by him in which he rehearsed an extended history of the law it was a carefully prepared and masterly discourse but as i thought entirely useless after he was through and we were walking home i asked him why he went so far back in the history of the law i presumed the court knew enough history that's where you're mistaken was his instant rejoinder 
i dared not just the case on the presumption that the court knows everything in fact i argued it on the presumption that the court didn't know anything a statement which when one reviews the decision of our appellate courts is not so extravagant as one would at first suppose handsomest man on earth one day thaddeus stevens called at the white house with an elderly woman whose son had been in the army but for some offence had been court-martialed and sentenced to death there were some extenuating circumstances and after a full hearing the president turned to stevens and said mr stevens do you think this is a case which will warrant my interference with my knowledge of the facts and the parties was the reply i should have no hesitation in granting a pardon then returned mr lincoln i will pardon him and proceeded forthwith to execute the paper the gratitude of the mother was too deep for expression save by her tears and not a word was said between her and stevens until they were halfway down the stairs on their passage out when she suddenly broke forth in an excited manner with the words i knew it was a copperhead lie what do you refer to madam asked stevens why they told me he was an ugly-looking man she replied with vehemence he is the handsomest man i ever saw in my life that coon came down lincoln's last warning was the title of a cartoon which appeared in harper's weekly on october eleventh eighteen sixty two under the picture was the text now if you don't come down i'll cut the tree from under you this illustration was peculiarly apt as on the first of january eighteen sixty three president lincoln issued his great emancipation proclamation declaring all slaves in the united states forever free old abe was a handy man with the axe having split many thousands of rails with its keen edge as the slavery coon wouldn't heed the warning lincoln did cut the tree from under him and so he came down to the ground with a heavy thump this act of emancipation put an end to the notion of the southern slaveholders that involuntary servitude was one of the sacred institutions on the continent of north america it also demonstrated that lincoln was thoroughly in earnest when he declared that he would not only save the union but that he meant what he said in the speech wherein he asserted this nation cannot exist half slave and half free wrote pieces when very young at fifteen years of age abe wrote pieces or compositions and even some doggerel rhyme which he recited to the great amusement of his playmates one of his first compositions was against cruelty to animals he was very much annoyed and pained at the conduct of the boys who were in the habit of catching terrapins and putting coals of fire on their backs which thoroughly disgusted abraham he would chide us said nat grisby tell us it was wrong and would write against it when eighteen years old abe wrote a piece on national politics and it so pleased a lawyer friend named pritchard that the latter had it printed in an obscure paper thereby adding much to the author's pride abe did not conceal his satisfaction 
in this piece he wrote among other things the american government is the best form of government for an intelligent people it ought to be kept sound and preserved forever that general education should be fostered and carried all over the country that the constitution should be saved the union perpetuated and the laws revered respected and enforced try to steer her through john a logan and a friend of illinois called upon lincoln at willard's hotel washington february twenty third the morning of his arrival and urged a vigorous firm policy patiently listening lincoln replied seriously but cheerfully as the country has placed me at the helm of the ship i'll try to steer her through grand gloomy and peculiar lincoln was a marked and peculiar young man people talked about him his studious habits his greed for information his thorough mastery of the difficulties of every new position in which he was placed his intelligence on all matters of public concern his unwearying good nature his skill in telling a story his great athletic power his quaint odd ways his uncouth appearance all tended to bring him in sharp contrast with the dull mediocrity by which he was surrounded denton offutt his old employer said after having had a conversation with lincoln that the young man had talent enough in him to make a president on the way to gettysburg when lincoln was on his way to the national cemetery at gettysburg an old gentleman told him that his only son fell on little round top at gettysburg and he was going to look at the spot mr lincoln replied you have been called on to make a terrible sacrifice for the union and a visit to that spot i fear will open your wounds afresh but oh my dear sir if we had reached the end of such sacrifices and had nothing left for us to do but to place garlands on the graves of those who have already fallen we could give thanks even midst our tears but when i think of the sacrifices of life yet to be offered and the hearts and homes yet to be made desolate before this dreadful war is over my heart is like lead within me and i feel at times like hiding in deep darkness at one of the stopping places of the train a very beautiful child having a bunch of rosebuds in her hand was lifted up to an open window of the president's car flowers for the president the president stepped to the window took the rosebuds bent down and kissed the child saying you are a sweet little rosebud yourself i hope your life will open into perpetual beauty and goodness stood up the longest there was a rough gallantry among the young people and lincoln's old comrades and friends in indiana have left many tales of how he went to see the girls of how he brought in the biggest backlog and made the brightest fire of how the young people sitting around it watching the way the sparks flew told their fortunes he helped pare apples shell corn and crack nuts he took the girls to meeting and to spelling school though he was not often allowed to take part in the spelling match for the one who chose first always chose a blinken and that was equivalent to winning as the others knew that he would stand up the longest a mortifying experience 
a lady reader or elocutionist came to springfield in eighteen fifty seven a large crowd greeted her among other things she recited nothing to wear a piece in which is described the perplexities that beset miss flora mcflimsey in her efforts to appear fashionable in the midst of one stanza in which no effort is made to say anything particularly amusing and during the reading of which the audience manifested the most respectful silence and attention some one in the rear seats burst out with a loud coarse laugh a sudden and explosive guffaw it startled the speaker and audience and kindled a storm of unsuppressed laughter and applause everybody looked back to ascertain the cause of the demonstration and were greatly surprised to find that it was mr lincoln he blushed and squirmed with the awkward diffidence of a schoolboy what caused him to laugh no one was able to explain he was doubtless wrapped up in a brown study and recalling some amusing episode indulged in laughter without realizing his surroundings the experience mortified him greatly no halfway business soon after mr lincoln began to practice law at springfield he was engaged in a criminal case in which it was thought there was little chance of success throwing all his powers into it he came off victorious and promptly received for his services five hundred dollars a legal friend calling upon him the next morning found him sitting before a table upon which his money was spread out counting it over and over look here judge said he see what a heap of money i've got from this case did you ever see anything like it why i never had so much money in my life before put it all together then crossing his arms upon the table his manner sobering down he added i have got just five hundred dollars if it were only seven hundred and fifty i will go directly and purchase a quarter section of land and settle it upon my old stepmother his friend said that if the deficiency was all he needed he would loan him the amount taking his note to which mr lincoln instantly acceded his friend then said lincoln i would do just what you have indicated your stepmother is getting old and will not probably live many years i would settle the property upon her for her use during her lifetime to revert to you upon her death with much feeling mr lincoln replied i shall do no such thing it is a poor return at best for all the good woman's devotion and fidelity to me and there is not going to be any halfway business about it and so saying he gathered up his money and proceeded forthwith to carry his long-cherished purpose into execution discouraged litigation lincoln believed in preventing unnecessary litigation and carried out this in his practice who was your guardian he asked a young man who came to him to complain that a part of the property left him had been withheld enoch kingsbury replied the young man i know mr kingsbury said lincoln and he is not the man to have cheated you out of a cent and i can't take the case and advise you to drop the subject and it was dropped going home to get ready edwin m stanton was one of the attorneys in the great reaper patent case heard in cincinnati in eighteen fifty five lincoln also having been retained 
the latter was rather anxious to deliver the argument on the general propositions of law applicable to the case but it being decided to have mr stanton do this the westerner made no complaint speaking of stanton's argument and the view lincoln took of it ralph emerson a young lawyer who was present at the trial said the final summing up on our side was by mr stanton and though he took but about three hours in his delivery he had devoted as many if not more weeks to its preparation it was very able and mr lincoln was throughout the whole of it a rapt listener mr stanton closed his speech in a flight of impassioned eloquence then the court adjourned for the day and mr lincoln invited me to take a long walk with him for block after block he walked rapidly forward not saying a word evidently deeply dejected at last he turned suddenly to me exclaiming emerson i am going home a pause i am going home to study law why i exclaimed mr lincoln you stand at the head of the bar in illinois now what are you talking about ah yes he said i do occupy a good position there and i think that i can get along with the way things are done there now but these college-trained men who have devoted their whole lives to study are coming west don't you see and they study their cases as we never do they have got as far as cincinnati now they will soon be in illinois another long pause then stopping and turning towards me his countenance suddenly assuming that look of strong determination which those who knew him best sometimes saw upon his face he exclaimed i am going home to study law i am as good as any of them and when they get out to illinois i will be ready for them the rail sputter repairing the union the cartoon given here in facsimile was one of the posters which decorated the picturesque presidential campaign of eighteen sixty four and assisted in making the period previous to the vote casting a lively and memorable one this poster was a lithograph and as the title the rail splitter at work repairing the union would indicate the president is using the vice presidential candidate on the republican national ticket andrew johnson as an aide in the work johnson was in early life a tailor and he is pictured as busily engaged in sewing up the rents made in the map of the union by the secessionist both men are thoroughly in earnest and as history relates the torn places in the union map were stitched together so nicely that no one could have told by mere observation that a tear had ever been made andrew johnson who succeeded lincoln upon the assassination of the latter was a remarkable man born in north carolina he removed to tennessee when young was congressman governor and united states senator being made military governor of his state in eighteen sixty two a strong staunch union man he was nominated for the vice presidency on the lincoln ticket to conciliate the war democrats after serving out his term as president he was again elected united states senator from tennessee but he died shortly after taking his seat but he was just the sort of man to assist uncle abe in sewing up the torn places in the union map and as military governor of tennessee was a powerful factor in winning friends in the south to the union cause end of part nineteen
part twenty of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part twenty find out for yourselves several of us lawyers remarked one of his colleagues in the eastern end of the circuit annoyed lincoln once while he was holding court for davis by attempting to defend against a note to which there were many makers we had no legal but a good moral defence but what we wanted most of all was to stave it off till the next term of court by one expedient or another we uh, bothered the court about it till late on saturday the day of adjournment he adjourned for supper with nothing left but this case to dispose of after supper he heard our twaddle for nearly an hour and then made this odd entry l d chadden versus j d beasley et al april term eighteen fifty six champaign county court plea in abatement by b z green a defendant not served filed saturday at eleven o'clock a m april twenty four eighteen fifty six stricken from the files by order of court demurrer to declaration if there ever was one overruled defendants who are served now at eight o'clock p m of the last day of the term ask to plead to the merits which is denied by the court on the ground that the offer comes too late and therefore as by nil dicet judgment is rendered for plaintiff clerk assess damages a lincoln judge pro tem the lawyer who reads this singular entry will appreciate its oddity if no one else does after making it one of the lawyers on recovering from his astonishment ventured to inquire well lincoln how can we get this case up again lincoln eyed him quizzically for a moment and then answered you have all been so mighty smart about this case you can find out how to take it up again yourselves rough on the negro mr lincoln one day was talking with the reverend dr sunderland about the emancipation proclamation and the future of the negro suddenly a ripple of amusement broke the solemn tone of his voice as for the negroes doctor and what is going to become of them i told ben wade the other day that it made me think of a story i read in one of my first books aesop's fables it was an old edition and had curious rough wood cuts one of which showed three white men scrubbing a negro in a potash kettle filled with cold water the text explained that the men thought that by scrubbing the negro they might make him white just about the time they thought they were succeeding he took cold and died now i am afraid that by the time we get through this war the negro will catch cold and die challenged all comers personal encounters were of frequent occurrence in gentryville in early days and the prestige of having thrashed an opponent gave the victor marked social distinction green b taylor with whom abe worked the greater part of one winter on a farm furnished an account of the noted fight between john johnston abe's stepbrother and william grigsby in which stirring drama abe himself played an important role before the curtain was rung down 
taylor's father was the second for johnston and william witten officiated in a similar capacity for grigsby they had a terrible fight related taylor and it soon became apparent that grigsby was too much for lincoln's man johnston after they had fought a long time without interference it having been agreed not to break the ring abe burst through caught rigsby threw him off and some feet away there grigsby stood proud as lucifer and swinging a bottle of liquor over his head swore he was the big buck of the lick if anyone doubts it he shouted he has only to come on and wet his horns a general engagement followed this challenge but at the end of hostilities the field was cleared and the wounded retired amid the exultant shouts of their victors government rests in public opinion lincoln delivered a speech at a republican banquet at chicago december tenth eighteen fifty six just after the presidential campaign of that year in which he said our government rests in public opinion whoever can change public opinion can change the government practically just so much public opinion on any subject always has a central idea from which all its minor thoughts radiate that central idea in our political public opinion at the beginning was and until recently has continued to be the equality of man and although it has always submitted patiently to whatever of inequality there seemed to be as a matter of actual necessity its constant working has been a steady progress towards the practical equality of all men let every one who really believes and is resolved that free society is not and shall not be a failure and who can conscientiously declare that in the past contest he has done only what he thought best let every such one have charity to believe that every other one can say as much thus let bygones be bygones let party differences as nothing be and with steady eye on the real issue let us reinaugurate the good old central ideas of the republic we can do it the human heart is with us god is with us we shall never be able to declare that all states as states are equal nor yet that all citizens are equal but to renew the broader better declaration including both these and much more that all men are created equal hurry might make trouble up to the very last moment of the life of the confederacy the london punch had its fling at the united states in a cartoon printed february eighteenth eighteen sixty five labeled the threatening notice punch intimates that uncle sam is in somewhat of a hurry to serve justice on john bull regarding the contentions in connection with the northern border of the united states lincoln however as attorney for his revered uncle advises caution accordingly he tells his uncle according to the text under the picture attorney lincoln now uncle sam you're in a darned hurry to serve this here notice on john bull now it's my duty as your attorney to tell you that you may drive him to go over to that cuss davis uncle sam considers in this instance president lincoln is given credit for judgment and common sense his advice to his uncle sam to be prudent being sound 
there was trouble all along the canadian border during the war while canada was the refuge of northern conspirators and southern spies who at times crossed the line and inflicted great damage upon the states bordering on it the plot to seize the great lake cities chicago milwaukee detroit cleveland buffalo and others was figured out in canada by the southerners and northern allies president lincoln in his message to congress in december eighteen sixty four said the united states had given notice to england that at the end of six months this country would if necessary increase its naval armament upon the lakes what great britain feared was the abrogation by the united states of all treaties regarding canada by previous stipulation the united states and england were each to have but one war vessel on the great lakes saw himself dead this story cannot be repeated in lincoln's own language although he told it often enough to intimate friends but as it was never taken down by a stenographer in the martyred president's exact words the reader must accept a simple narration of the strange occurrence it was not long after the first nomination of lincoln for the presidency when he saw or imagined he saw the startling apparition one day feeling weary he threw himself upon a lounge in one of the rooms of his house at springfield to rest opposite the lounge upon which he was lying was a large long mirror and he could easily see the reflection of his form full length suddenly he saw or imagined he saw two lincolns in the mirror each lying full length upon the lounge but they differed strangely in appearance one was the natural lincoln full of life vigor energy and strength the other was a dead lincoln the face white as marble the limbs nerveless and lifeless the body inert and still lincoln was so impressed with this vision which he considered merely an optical illusion that he arose put on his hat and went out for a walk returning to the house he determined to test the matter again and the result was the same as before he distinctly saw the two lincolns one living and the other dead he said nothing to his wife about this she being at that time in a nervous condition and apprehensive that some accident would surely befall her husband she was particularly fearful that he might be the victim of an assassin lincoln always made light of her fears but yet he was never easy in his mind afterwards to more thoroughly test the so-called optical illusion and prove beyond the shadow of a doubt whether it was a mere fanciful creation of the brain or a reflection upon the broad face of the mirror which might be seen at any time lincoln made frequent experiments each and every time the result was the same he could not get away from the two lincolns one living and the other dead lincoln never saw this forbidding reflection while in the white house time after time he placed a couch in front of a mirror at a distance from the glass where he could view his entire length while lying down but the looking-glass in the executive mansion was faithful to its trust and only the living lincoln was observable 
the late ward layman once a law partner of lincoln and marshal of the district of columbia during his first administration tells in his recollections of abraham lincoln of the dreams the president had all foretelling death layman was lincoln's most intimate friend being practically his bodyguard and slept in the white house in reference to lincoln's death dreams he says how it may be asked could he make life tolerable burdened as he was with that portentous horror which though visionary and of trifling import in our eyes was by his interpretation a premonition of impending doom i answer in a word his sense of duty to his country his belief that the inevitable is right and his innate and irrepressible humor but the most startling incident in the life of mr lincoln was a dream he had only a few days before his assassination to him it was a thing of deadly import and certainly no vision was ever fashioned more exactly like a dread reality coupled with other dreams with the mirror scene and with other incidents there was something about it so amazingly real so true to the actual tragedy which occurred soon after that more than mortal strength and wisdom would have been required to let it pass without a shudder or a pang after worrying over it for some days mr lincoln seemed no longer able to keep the secret i give it as nearly in his own words as i can from notes which i made immediately after its recital there were only two or three persons present the president was in a melancholy meditative mood and had been silent for some time mrs lincoln who was present rallied him on his solemn visage and want of spirit this seemed to arouse him and without seeming to notice her sally he said in slow and measured tones it seems strange how much there is in the bible about dreams there are i think some sixteen chapters in the old testament and four or five in the new in which dreams are mentioned and there are many other passages scattered throughout the book which refer to visions in the old days god and his angels came to men in their sleep and made themselves known in dreams mrs lincoln here remarked why you look dreadfully solemn do you believe in dreams i can't say that i do returned mr lincoln but i had one the other night which has haunted me ever since after it occurred the first time i opened the bible and strange as it may appear it was at the twenty-eighth chapter of genesis which relates the wonderful dream jacob had i turned to other passages and seemed to encounter a dream or a vision wherever i looked i kept on turning the leaves of the old book and everywhere my eyes fell upon passages recording matters strangely in keeping with my own thoughts supernatural visitations dreams visions etc he now looked so serious and disturbed that mrs lincoln exclaimed oh you frighten me what is the matter i am afraid said mr lincoln observing the effect his words had upon his wife that i have done wrong to mention the subject at all but somehow the thing has got possession of me and like banquo's ghost it will not down 
this only inflamed mrs lincoln's curiosity the more and while bravely disclaiming any belief in dreams she strongly urged him to tell the dream which seemed to have such a hold upon him being seconded in this by another listener mr lincoln hesitated but at length commenced very deliberately his brow overcast with a shade of melancholy about ten days ago said he i retired very late i had been up waiting for important dispatches from the front i could not have been long in bed when i fell into a slumber for i was weary i soon began to dream there seemed to be a death-like stillness about me then i heard subdued sobs as if a number of people were weeping i thought i left my bed and wandered downstairs there the silence was broken by the same pitiful sobbing but the mourners were invisible i went from room to room no living person was in sight but the same mournful sounds of distress met me as i passed along it was light in all the rooms every object was familiar to me but where were all the people who were grieving as if their hearts would break i was puzzled and alarmed what could be the meaning of all this determined to find the cause of a state of things so mysterious and so shocking i kept on until i arrived at the east room which i entered there i met with a sickening surprise before me was a catafalque on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards and there was a throng of people some gazing mournfully upon the corpse whose face was covered others weeping pitifully who is dead in the white house i demanded of one of the soldiers the president was his answer he was killed by an assassin then came a loud burst of grief from the crowd which awoke me from my dream i slept no more that night and although it was only a dream i have been strangely annoyed by it ever since that is horrid said mrs lincoln i wish you had not told it i am glad i don't believe in dreams or i should be in terror from this time forth well responded mr lincoln thoughtfully it is only a dream mary let us say no more about it and try to forget it this dream was so horrible so real and so in keeping with other dreams and threatening presentiments of his that mr lincoln was profoundly disturbed by it during its recital he was grave gloomy and at times visibly pale but perfectly calm he spoke slowly with measured accents and deep feeling in conversations with me he referred to it afterwards closing one with this quotation from hamlet to sleep perchance to dream ay there's the rub with a strong accent upon the last three words once the president alluded to this terrible dream with some show of playful humor hill said he your apprehension of harm to me from some hidden enemy is downright foolishness for a long time you have been trying to keep somebody the lord knows who from killing me don't you see how it will turn out in this dream it was not me but some other fellow that was killed it seems that this ghostly assassin tried his hand on someone else and this reminds me of an old farmer in illinois whose family were made sick by eating greens some poisonous herb had got into the mess 
and members of the family were in danger of dying there was a half-witted boy in the family called jake and always afterward when they had greens the old man would say now afore we risk these greens let us try em on jake if he stands em we're all right just so with me as long as this imaginary assassin continues to exercise himself on others i can stand it he then became serious and said well let it go i think the lord in his own good time and way will work this out all right god knows what is best these words he spoke with a sigh and rather in a tone of soliloquy as if hardly noting my presence mr lincoln had another remarkable dream which was repeated so frequently during his occupancy of the white house that he came to regard it as a welcome visitor it was of a pleasing and promising character having nothing in it of the horrible it was always an omen of a union victory and came with unerring certainty just before every military or naval engagement where our arms were crowned with success in this dream he saw a ship sailing away rapidly badly damaged and our victorious vessels in close pursuit he saw also the close of a battle on land the enemy routed and our forces in possession of vantage ground of inestimable importance mr lincoln stated it as a fact that he had this dream just before the battles of antietam gettysburg and other signal engagements throughout the war the last time mr lincoln had this dream was the night before his assassination on the morning of that lamentable day there was a cabinet meeting at which general grant was present during an interval of general discussion the president asked general grant if he had any news from general sherman who was then confronting johnston the reply was in the negative but the general added that he was in hourly expectation of a dispatch announcing johnston's surrender mr lincoln then with great impressiveness said we shall hear very soon and the news will be important general grant asked him why he thought so because said mr lincoln i had a dream last night and ever since this war began i have had the same dream just before every event of great national importance it portends some important events which will happen very soon on the night of the fateful fourteenth of april eighteen sixty five mrs lincoln's first exclamation after the president was shot was his dream was prophetic lincoln was a believer in certain phases of the supernatural assured as he undoubtedly was by omens which to his mind were conclusive that he would rise to greatness and power he was as firmly convinced by the same tokens that he would be suddenly cut off at the height of his career and the fullness of his fame he always believed that he would fall by the hand of an assassin mr lincoln had this further idea dreams being natural occurrences in the strictest sense he held that their best interpreters are the common people and this accounts in great measure for the profound respect he always had for the collective wisdom of plain people the children of nature he called them touching matters belonging to the domain of psychical mysteries there was some basis of truth he believed for whatever obtained a general credence among these uh, children of nature 
concerning presentiments and dreams mr lincoln had a philosophy of his own which strangely as it may appear was in perfect harmony with his character in all other respects he was no dabbler in divination astrology horoscopy prophecy ghostly lore or witcheries of any sort every little helped as the time drew near at which mr lincoln said he would issue the emancipation proclamation some clergymen who feared the president might change his mind called on him to urge him to keep his promise we were ushered into the cabinet room says dr sunderland it was very dim but one gas jet burning as we entered mr lincoln was standing at the farther end of the long table which filled the center of the room as i stood by the door i am so very short that i was obliged to look up to see the president mr robbins introduced me and i began at once by saying i have come mr president to anticipate the new year with my respects and if i may to say to you a word about the serious condition of this country go ahead doctor replied the president every little helps but i was too much in earnest to laugh at his sally at my smallness about to lay down the burden president lincoln at times said he felt sure his life would end with the war a correspondent of a boston paper had an interview with him in july eighteen sixty four and wrote regarding it the president told me he was certain he would not outlast the rebellion as will be remembered there was dissension then among the republican leaders many of his best friends had deserted him and were talking of an opposition convention to nominate another candidate and universal gloom was among the people the north was tired of the war and supposed an honorable peace attainable mr lincoln knew it was not that any peace at that time would be only disunion speaking of it he said i have faith in the people they will not consent to disunion the danger is they are misled let them know the truth and the country is safe he looked haggard and careworn and further on in the interview i remarked on his appearance you are wearing yourself out with work i can't work less he answered but it isn't that work never troubled me things look badly and i can't avoid anxiety personally i care nothing about a re-election but if our divisions defeat us i fear for the country when i suggested that right must eventually triumph he replied i grant that but i may never live to see it i feel a presentiment that i shall not outlast the rebellion when it is all over my work will be done he never intimated however that he expected to be assassinated lincoln would have preferred death horace greeley said some time after the death of president lincoln after the civil war began lincoln's tenacity of purpose paralleled his former immobility i believe he would have been nearly the last if not the very last man in america to recognize the southern confederacy had its armies been triumphant he would have preferred death punch and his little picture london punch was not satisfied with anything president lincoln did on december third eighteen sixty four after mr lincoln's re-election to the presidency 
a cartoon appeared in one of the pages of that genial publication the reproduction being printed here labeled the federal phoenix it attracted great attention at the time and was particularly pleasing to the enemies of the united states as it showed lincoln as the phoenix arising from the ashes of the federal constitution the public credit the freedom of the press state rights and the commerce of the north american republic president lincoln's endorsement by the people of the united states meant that the confederacy was to be crushed no matter what the cost that the union of states was to be preserved and that state rights was a thing of the past punch wished to create the impression that president lincoln's re-election was a personal victory that he would set up a despotism with himself at its head and trample upon the constitution of the united states and all the rights the citizens of the republic ever possessed the result showed that punch was suffering from an acute attack of needless alarm end of part twenty part twenty one of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part twenty one fascinated by the wonderful lincoln was particularly fascinated by the wonderful happenings recorded in history he loved to read of those mighty events which had been foretold and often brooded upon these subjects his early conviction upon occult matters led him to read all books tending to strengthen these convictions the following lines in byron's dream were frequently quoted by him sleep hath its own world a boundary between the things misnamed death and existence sleep hath its own world and a wide realm of wild reality and dreams in their development have breath and tears and tortures and the touch of joy they leave a weight upon our waking thoughts they take a weight from off our waking toils they do divide our being those with whom he was associated in his early youth and young manhood and with whom he was always in cordial sympathy were thorough believers in presentiments and dreams and so lincoln drifted on through years of toil and exceptional hardship meditative aspiring certain of his star but appalled at times by its malignant aspect many times prior to his first election to the presidency he was both elated and alarmed by what seemed to him a rent in the veil which hides from mortal view what the future holds he saw or thought he saw a vision of glory and of blood himself the central figure in a scene which his fancy transformed from giddy enchantment to the most appalling tragedy why don't they come the suspense of the days when the capital was isolated the expected troops not arriving and an hourly attack feared wore on mr lincoln greatly i began to believe he said bitterly one day to some massachusetts soldiers that there is no north the seventh regiment is a myth rhode island is another you are the only real thing and again after pacing the floor of his deserted office for half an hour he was heard to exclaim to himself in an anguished tone why don't they come why don't they come
grant's brand of whiskey lincoln was not a man of impulse and did nothing upon the spur of the moment action with him was the result of deliberation and study he took nothing for granted he judged men by their performances and not their speech if a general lost battles lincoln lost confidence in him if a commander was successful lincoln put him where he would be of the most service to the country grant is a drunkard asserted powerful and influential politicians to the president at the white house time after time he is not himself half the time he can't be relied upon and it is a shame to have such a man in command of an army so grant gets drunk does he queried lincoln addressing himself to one of the particularly active detractors of the soldier who at that period was inflicting heavy damage upon the confederates yes he does and i can prove it was the reply well returned lincoln with the faintest suspicion of a twinkle in his eye you needn't waste your time getting proof you just find out to oblige me what brand of whiskey grant drinks because i want to send a barrel of it to each one of my generals that ended the crusade against grant so far as the question of drinking was concerned his financial standing a new york firm applied to abraham lincoln some years before he became president for information as to the financial standing of one of his neighbors mr lincoln replied i am well acquainted with mr blank and know his circumstances first of all he has a wife and baby together they ought to be worth fifty thousand dollars to any man secondly he has an office in which there is a table worth a dollar fifty and three chairs worth mm, say a dollar last of all there is in one corner a large rat hole which will bear looking into respectfully a lincoln the dandy and the boys president lincoln appointed as consul to a south american country a young man from ohio who was a dandy a wag met the new appointee on his way to the white house to thank the president he was dressed in the most extravagant style the wag horrified him by telling him that the country to which he was assigned was noted chiefly for the bugs that abounded there and made life unbearable they'll bore a hole clean through you before a week has passed was the comforting assurance of the wag as they parted at the white house steps the new consul approached lincoln with disappointment clearly written all over his face instead of joyously thanking the president he told him the wag's story of the bugs i am informed mr president he said that the place is full of vermin and that they could eat me up in a week's time well young man replied lincoln if that's true all i've got to say is that if such a thing happened they would leave a mighty good suit of clothes behind some ugly old lawyer a w swan of albuquerque new mexico told this story on lincoln being an eyewitness of the scene one day president lincoln was met in the park between the white house and the war department by an irate private soldier who was swearing in a high key cursing the government from the president down mr lincoln paused and asked him what was the matter matter enough was the reply i want my money i've been discharged here and can't get my pay mr lincoln asked if he had his papers saying that he used to practice law in a small way and possibly could help him 
my friend and i stepped behind some convenient shrubbery where we could watch the result mr lincoln took the papers from the hands of the crippled soldier and sat down with him at the foot of a convenient tree where he examined them carefully and writing a line on the back told the soldier to take them to mr potts chief clerk of the war department who would doubtless attend to the matter at once after mr lincoln had left the soldier we stepped out and asked him if he knew whom he had been talking with some ugly old fellow who pretends to be a lawyer was the reply my companion asked to see the papers and on their being handed to him pointed to the endorsement they had received this endorsement read mr potts attend to this man's case at once and see that he gets his pay a l good memory of names the following story illustrates the power of mr lincoln's memory of names and faces when he was a comparatively young man and a candidate for the illinois legislature he made a personal canvass of the district while swinging around the circle he stopped one day and took dinner with a farmer in sangamon county years afterward when mr lincoln had become president a soldier came to call on him at the white house at the first glance the chief executive said yes i remember you used to live on the danville road i took dinner with you when i was running for the legislature i recollect that we stood talking out at the barnyard gate while i sharpened my jackknife yes drawled the soldier you did but say wherever did you put that whetstone i looked for it a dozen times but i never could find it after the day you used it we allowed as how maybe you took along with you oh no said lincoln looking serious and pushing away a lot of documents of state from the desk in front of him no i put it on top of that gatepost that high one well exclaimed the visitor maybe you did couldn't anybody else have put it there and none of us ever thought of looking there for it the soldier was then on his way home and when he got there the first thing he did was to look for the whetstone and sure enough there it was just where lincoln had laid it fifteen years before the honest fellow wrote a letter to the chief magistrate telling him that the whetstone had been found and would never be lost again settled out of court when abe lincoln used to be drifting around the country practicing law in fulton and meanard counties illinois an old fellow met him going to lewiston riding a horse which while it was a serviceable enough animal was not of the kind to be truthfully called a fine saddler it was a weather-beaten nag patient and plodding and it toiled along with abe and abe's books tucked away in saddle-bags lay heavy on the horse's flank hello uncle tommy said abe hello abe responded uncle tommy i'm powerful glad to see you abe for i'm gwine to have something for you at lewiston court i reckon how's that uncle tommy said abe well jim adams his land runs long o mine and he's pesterin me a heap and i got to get the law on jim i reckon uncle tommy you haven't had any fights with jim have you no he's a fair to middlin neighbor isn't he only tolerable abe he's been a neighbor of yours for a long time hasn't he nigh on fifteen year part of that time you get along all right don't you i reckon we do abe well now uncle tommy you see this horse of mine 
he isn't as good a horse as i could straddle and i sometimes get out of patience with him but i know his faults he does fairly well as horses go and it might take me a long time to get used to some other horse's faults for all horses have faults you and uncle jimmy must put up with each other as i and my horse do with one another i reckon abe said uncle tommy as he bit off about four ounces of missouri plug i reckon you're about right and abe lincoln with a smile on his gaunt face rode on toward lewiston the five points sunday school when mr lincoln visited new york in eighteen sixty he felt a great interest in many of the institutions for reforming criminals and saving the young from a life of crime among others he visited unattended the five points house of industry and the superintendent of the sabbath school there gave the following account of the event one sunday morning i saw a tall remarkable-looking man enter the room and take a seat among us he listened with fixed attention to our exercises and his countenance expressed such genuine interest that i approached him and suggested that he might be willing to say something to the children he accepted the invitation with evident pleasure and coming forward began a simple address which at once fascinated every little hearer and hushed the room into silence his language was strikingly beautiful and his tones musical with intense feeling the little faces would droop into sad conviction when he uttered sentences of warning and would brighten into sunshine as he spoke cheerful words of promise once or twice he attempted to close his remarks but the imperative shouts of go on oh do go on would compel him to resume as i looked upon the gaunt and sinewy frame of the stranger and marked his powerful head and determined features now touched into softness by the impressions of the moment i felt an irrepressible curiosity to learn something more about him and while he was quietly leaving the room i begged to know his name he courteously replied it is abraham lincoln from illinois sentinel obeyed orders a slight variation of the traditional sentry story is related by c c buell it was a cold blustery winter night says mr buell mr lincoln emerged from the front door his lank figure bent over as he drew tightly about his shoulders the shawl which he employed for such protection for he was on his way to the war department at the west corner of the grounds where in times of battle he was wont to get the midnight dispatches from the field as the blast struck him he thought of the numbness of the pacing sentry and turning to him said young man you've got a cold job to-night step inside and stand guard there my orders keep me out here the soldier replied yes said the president in his argumentative tone but your duty can be performed just as well inside as out here and you'll oblige me by going in i have been stationed outside the soldier answered and resumed his beat hold on there said mr lincoln as he turned back again it occurs to me that i am commander-in-chief of the army and i order you to go inside why lincoln growed whiskers perhaps the majority of people in the united states don't know why lincoln growed whiskers after his first nomination for the presidency 
before that time his face was clean-shaven in the beautiful village of westfield chautauqua county new york there lived in eighteen sixty little grace Bedell. during the campaign of that year she saw a portrait of lincoln for which she felt the love and reverence that was common in republican families and his smooth homely face rather disappointed her she said to her mother i think mother that mr lincoln would look better if he wore whiskers and i mean to write and tell him so the mother gave her permission grace's father was a republican her two brothers were democrats grace rode at once to the hon abraham lincoln esq springfield illinois in which she told him how old she was and where she lived that she was a republican that she thought he would make a good president but would look better if he would let his whiskers grow if he would do so she would try to coax her brothers to vote for him she thought the rail fence around the picture of his cabin was very pretty if you have not time to answer my letter will you allow your little girl to reply for you lincoln was much pleased with the letter and decided to answer it which he did at once as follows springfield illinois october nineteen eighteen sixty miss grace Bedell, my dear little miss your very agreeable letter of the fifteenth is received i regret the necessity of saying that i have no daughter i have three sons one seventeen one nine and one seven years of age they with their mother constitute my whole family as to the whiskers having never worn any do you not think people would call it a piece of silly affectation if i should begin it now your very sincere well-wisher a lincoln when on the journey to washington to be inaugurated lincoln's train stopped at westfield he recollected his little correspondent and spoke of her to ex-lieutenant governor george w patterson who called out and asked if grace Bedell was present there was a large surging mass of people gathered about the train but grace was discovered at a distance the crowd opened a pathway to the coach and she came timidly but gladly to the president-elect who told her that she might see that he had allowed his whiskers to grow at her request then reaching out his long arms he drew her up to him and kissed her the act drew an enthusiastic demonstration of approval from the multitude grace married a kansas banker and became grace Bedell billings lincoln as a dancer lincoln made his first appearance in society when he was first sent to springfield illinois as a member of the state legislature it was not an imposing figure which he cut in a ballroom but still he was occasionally to be found there miss mary todd who afterward became his wife was the magnet which drew the tall awkward young man from his den one evening lincoln approached miss todd and said in his peculiar idiom miss todd i should like to dance with you the worst way the young woman accepted the inevitable and hobbled around the room with him when she returned to her seat one of her companions asked mischievously well mary did he dance with you the worst way yes she answered the very worst simply practical humanity an instance of young lincoln's practical humanity at an early period of his life is recorded in this way 
one evening while returning from a raising in his wide neighborhood with a number of companions he discovered a stray horse with saddle and bridle upon him the horse was recognized as belonging to a man who was accustomed to get drunk and it was suspected at once that he was not far off a short search only was necessary to confirm the belief the poor drunkard was found in a perfectly helpless condition upon the chilly ground abraham's companions urged the cowardly policy of leaving him to his fate but young lincoln would not hear to the proposition at his request the miserable sot was lifted on his shoulders and he actually carried him eighty rods to the nearest house sending word to his father that he should not be back that night with the reason for his absence he attended and nursed the man until the morning and had the pleasure of believing that he had saved his life happy figures of speech on one occasion exasperated at the discrepancy between the aggregate of troops forwarded to mcclellan and the number that same general reported as having received lincoln exclaimed sending men to that army is like shoveling fleas across a barnyard half of them never get there to a politician who had criticized his course he wrote would you have me drop the war where it is or would you prosecute it in future with elder stock squirts charged with rosewater when on his first arrival in washington as president he found himself besieged by office seekers while the war was breaking out he said i feel like a man letting lodgings at one end of his house while the other end is on fire a few rhythmic shots ward layman marshal of the district of columbia during lincoln's time in washington accompanied the president everywhere he was a good singer and when lincoln was in one of his melancholy moods would fire a few rhythmic shots at the president to cheer the latter lincoln keenly relished nonsense in the shape of witty or comic ditties a parody of a life on the ocean wave was always pleasing to him oh a life on the ocean wave and a home on the rolling deep with ratlins fried three times a day and a leaky old berth for to sleep where the grey-beard cockroach roams on thoughts of kind intent and the raving bed-bug comes the road the cockroach went lincoln could not control his laughter when he heard songs of this sort he was fond of negro melodies too and the blue-tailed fly was a great favorite with him he often called for that buzzing ballad when he and layman were alone and he wanted to throw off the weight of public and private cares the ballad of the blue-tailed fly contained two verses which ran when i was young i used to wait at massa's table and hand a plate and pass the bottle when he was dry and brush away the blue-tailed fly oh massa's dead oh let him rest dey say all things am for the best but i can't forget until i die oh massa and the blue-tail fly while humorous songs delighted the president he also loved to listen to patriotic airs and ballads containing sentiment he was fond of hearing the sword of bunker hill ben bolt and the lament of the irish emigrant his preference of the verses in the latter was this i'm lonely now mary for the poor make no new friends but oh they love the better still the few our father sends 
and you were all i had mary my blessing and my pride there's nothing left to care for now since my poor mary died those who knew lincoln were well aware he was incapable of so monstrous an act as that of wantonly insulting the dead as was charged in the infamous libel which asserted that he listened to a comic song on the field of antietam before the dead were buried old man glenn's religion mr lincoln once remarked to a friend that his religion was like that of an old man named glenn in indiana whom he heard speak at a church meeting and who said when i do good i feel good when i do bad i feel bad and that's my religion mrs lincoln herself has said that mr lincoln had no faith no faith in the usual acceptance of those words he never joined a church but still as i believe he was a religious man by nature he first seemed to think about the subject when our boy willie died and then more than ever about the time he went to gettysburg but it was a kind of poetry in his nature and he never was a technical christian last acts of mercy during the afternoon preceding his assassination the president signed a pardon for a soldier sentenced to be shot for desertion remarking as he did so well i think the boy can do us more good above ground than underground he also approved an application for the discharge on taking the oath of allegiance of a rebel prisoner in whose petition he wrote let it be done this act of mercy was his last official order just like seward the first corps of the army commanded by general reynolds was once reviewed by the president on a beautiful plain at the north of potomac creek about eight miles from hooker's headquarters the party rode thither in an ambulance over a rough corduroy road and as they passed over some of the more difficult portions of the jolting way the ambulance driver who sat well in front occasionally let fly a volley of suppressed oaths at his wild team of six mules finally mr lincoln leaning forward touched the man on the shoulder and said excuse me my friend are you an episcopalian the man greatly startled looked round and replied no mr president i am a methodist well said lincoln i thought you must be an episcopalian because you swear just like governor seward who is a church warder a cheerful prospect the first night after the departure of president-elect lincoln from springfield on his way to washington was spent in indianapolis governor yates o h browning jesse k dubois o m hatch josiah allen of indiana and others after taking leave of mr lincoln to return to their respective homes took ward layman into a room locked the door and proceeded in the most solemn and impressive manner to instruct him as to his duties as the special guardian of mr lincoln's person during the rest of his journey to washington layman tells the story as follows the lesson was concluded by uncle jesse as mr dubois was commonly called who said now layman we have regarded you as the tom hire of illinois with morrissey attachment we entrust the sacred life of mr lincoln to your keeping and if you don't protect it never return to illinois for we will murder you on sight thought god would have told him 
professor jonathan baldwin turner was one of the few men to whom mr lincoln confided his intention to issue the proclamation of emancipation mr lincoln told his illinois friend of the visit of a delegation to him who claimed to have a message from god that the war would not be successful without the freeing of the negroes to whom mr lincoln replied is it not a little strange that he should tell this to you who have so little to do with it and should not have told me who has a great deal to do with it at the same time he informed professor turner he had his proclamation in his pocket end of part twenty one Part 22 of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 22. Lincoln and a Bible Hero. A writer who heard Mr. Lincoln's famous speech delivered in New York after his nomination for president has left this record of the event. When Lincoln rose to speak, I was greatly disappointed. He was tall, tall, oh, so tall and so angular and awkward that i had for an instant a feeling of pity for so ungainly a man he began in a low tone of voice as if he were used to speaking out of doors and was afraid of speaking too loud he said mr Jeerman instead of mr chairman and employed many other words with an old-fashioned pronunciation i said to myself old fellow you won't do it is all very well for the wild west but this will never go down in new york but pretty soon he began to get into the subject he straightened up made regular and graceful gestures his face lighted as with inward fire the whole man was transfigured i forgot the clothing his personal appearance and his individual peculiarities presently forgetting myself i was on my feet with the rest yelling like a wild indian cheering the wonderful man in the close parts of his argument you could hear the gentle sizzling of the gas burners when he reached a climax the thunders of applause were terrific it was a great speech when i came out of the hall my face was glowing with excitement and my frame all a-quiver a friend with his eyes aglow asked me what i thought of abe lincoln the rail splitter i said he's the greatest man since st paul and i think so yet boy was cared for president lincoln one day noticed a small pale delicate-looking boy about thirteen years old among the number in the white house antechamber the president saw him standing there looking so feeble and faint and said come here my boy and tell me what you want the boy advanced placed his hand on the arm of the president's chair and with a bowed head and timid accents said mr president i have been a drummer boy in a regiment for two years and my colonel got angry with me and turned me off i was taken sick and have been a long time in the hospital the president discovered that the boy had no home no father he had died in the army no mother i have no father no mother no brothers no sisters and bursting into tears no friends nobody cares for me lincoln's eyes filled with tears and the boy's heart was soon made glad by a request to certain officials to care for this poor boy the jury acquitted him 
one of the most noted murder cases in which lincoln defended the accused was tried in august eighteen fifty nine the victim crafton was a student in his own law office the defendant peachy harrison was a grandson of rev peter cartwright both were connected with the best families in the county they were brothers-in-law and had always been friends senator john m palmer and general john a mcclellan were on the side of the prosecution among those who represented the defendant were lincoln and senator shelby m Collum. the two young men had engaged in a political quarrel and crafton was stabbed to death by harrison the tragic pathos of a case which involved the deepest affections of almost an entire community reached its climax in the appearance in court of the venerable peter cartwright lincoln had beaten him for congress in eighteen forty six eccentric and aggressive as he was he was honored far and wide and when he arose to take the witness stand his white hair crowned with his cruel sorrow the most indifferent spectator felt that his examination would be unbearable it fell to lincoln to question cartwright with the rarest gentleness he began to put his question how long have you known the prisoner cartwright's head dropped on his breast for a moment then straightening himself he passed his hand across his eyes and answered in a deep quavering voice i have known him since a babe he laughed and cried on my knee the examination ended by lincoln drawing from the witness the story of how crafton had said to him just before his death i am dying i will soon part with all i love on earth and i want you to say to my slayer that i forgive him i want to leave this earth with a forgiveness of all who have in any way injured me this examination made a profound impression on the jury lincoln closed his argument by picturing the scene anew appealing to the jury to practice the same forgiving spirit that the murdered man had shown on his deathbed it was undoubtedly to his handling of the grandfather's evidence that harrison's acquittal was due took nothing but money during the war congress appropriated ten thousand dollars to be expended by the president in defending united states marshals in cases of arrests and seizures where the legality of their actions was tested in the courts previously the marshals sought the assistance of the attorney general in defending them but when they found that the president had a fund for that purpose they sought to control the money in speaking of these marshals one day mr lincoln said they are like a man in illinois whose cabin was burned down and according to the kindly custom of early days in the west his neighbors all contributed something to start him again in his case they had been so liberal that he soon found himself better off than before the fire and he got proud one day a neighbor brought him a bag of oats but the fellow refused it with scorn no said he i'm not taking oats now i take nothing but money naughty boy had to take his medicine the resistance to the military draft of eighteen sixty three by the city of new york the result of which was the killing of several thousand persons was illustrated on august twenty ninth eighteen sixty three by frank leslie's illustrated newspaper over the title of the naughty boy gotham who would not take the draft beneath was also the text mammy lincoln 
there now you bad boy acting that way when your little sister pen state of pennsylvania takes hers like a lady horatio seymour was then governor of new york and a prominent the war is a failure advocate he was in albany the state capital when the riots broke out in the city of new york july thirteenth and after the mob had burned the colored orphan asylum and killed several hundred negroes came to the city he had only soft words for the rioters promising them that the draft should be suspended then the government sent several regiments of veterans fresh from the field of gettysburg where they had assisted in defeating lee these troops made short work of the brutal ruffians shooting down three thousand or so of them and the rioting was subdued the naughty boy gotham had to take his medicine after all but as the spirit of opposition to the war was still rampant the president issued a proclamation suspending the writ of habeas corpus in all the states of the union where the government had control this had a quieting effect upon those who were doing what they could in obstructing the government would blow them to h mr lincoln had advised lieutenant general winfield scott commanding the united states army of the threats of violence on inauguration day eighteen sixty one general scott was sick in bed at washington when adjutant-general thomas mather of illinois called upon him in president-elect lincoln's behalf and the veteran commander was much wrought up said he to general mather present my compliments to mr lincoln when you return to springfield and tell him i expect him to come on to washington as soon as he is ready say to him that i will look after those maryland and virginia rangers myself i will plant cannon at both ends of pennsylvania avenue and if any of them show their heads or raise a finger i'll blow them to h yankee goodness of heart one day when the president was with the troops who were fighting at the front the wounded both union and confederate began to pour in as one stretcher was passing lincoln he heard the voice of a lad calling to his mother in agonizing tones his great heart filled he forgot the crisis of the hour stopping the carriers he knelt and bending over him asked what can i do for you my poor child oh you will do nothing for me he replied you are a yankee i cannot hope that my message to my mother will ever reach her lincoln in tears his voice full of tenderest love convinced the boy of his sincerity and he gave his good-bye words without reserve the president directed them copied and ordered that they be sent that night with a flag of truce into the enemy's lines walked as he talked when mr lincoln made his famous humorous speech in congress ridiculing general cass he began to speak from notes but as he warmed up he left his desk and his notes to stride down the alley toward the speaker's chair occasionally as he would complete a sentence amid shouts of laughter he would return up the alley to his desk consult his notes take a sip of water and start off again mr lincoln received many congratulations at the close democrats joining the whigs in their complimentary comments one democrat however who had been nicknamed sausage sawyer didn't enthuse at all sawyer asked an eastern representative how did you like the lanky illinoisan speech very able wasn't it 
well replied sawyer the speech was pretty good but i hope he won't charge mileage on his travels while delivering it the song did the business the virginia illinois inquirer of march one eighteen seventy nine tells this story john mcnamer was buried last sunday near petersburg meanard county a long while ago he was assessor and treasurer of the county for several successive terms mr mcnamer was an early settler in that section and before the town of petersburg was laid out in business in old salem a village that existed many years ago two miles south of the present site of petersburg abe lincoln was then postmaster of the place and sold whiskey to its inhabitants there are old-timers yet living in meanard who bought many a jug of corn juice from old abe when he lived at salem it was here that ann rutledge dwelt and in whose grave lincoln wrote that his heart was buried as the story runs the fair and gentle ann was originally john mcnamer's sweetheart but abe took a shine to the young lady and succeeded in heading off mcnamer and won her affections but ann rutledge died and lincoln went to springfield where he some time afterwards married it is related that during the war a lady belonging to a prominent kentucky family visited washington to beg for her son's pardon who was then in prison under sentence of death for belonging to a band of guerrillas who had committed many murders and outrages with the mother was her daughter a beautiful young lady who was an accomplished musician mr lincoln received the visitors in his usual kind manner and the mother made known the object of her visit accompanying her plea with tears and sobs and all the customary romantic incidents there were probably extenuating circumstances in favor of the young rebel prisoner and while the president seemed to be deeply pondering the young lady moved to a piano nearby and taking a seat commenced to sing gentle annie a very sweet and pathetic ballad which before the war was a familiar song in almost every household in the union and is not yet entirely forgotten for that matter it is to be presumed that the young lady sang the song with more plaintiveness and effect than old abe had ever heard it in springfield during its rendition he arose from his seat crossed the room to a window in the westward through which he gazed for several minutes with a sad far-away look which has so often been noted as one of his peculiarities his memory no doubt went back to the days of his humble life on the sagamon and with visions of old salem and its rustic people who once gathered in his primitive store came a picture of the gentle annie of his youth whose ashes had rested for many long years under the wild flowers and brambles of the old rural burying ground but whose spirit then perhaps guided him to the side of mercy be that as it may president lincoln drew a large red silk handkerchief from his coat pocket with which he wiped his face vigorously then he turned advanced quickly to his desk wrote a brief note which he handed to the lady and informed her that it was the pardon she sought the scene was no doubt touching in a great degree and proves that a nice song well sung has often a powerful influence in recalling tender recollections it proves also that abraham lincoln was a man of fine feelings and that if the occurrence was a put-up job on the lady's part it accomplished the purpose all the same a free-for-all 
lincoln made a political speech at papsville illinois when a candidate for the legislature the first time a free-for-all fight began soon after the opening of the meeting and lincoln noticing one of his friends about to succumb to the energetic attack of an infuriated ruffian edged his way through the crowd and seizing the bully by the neck and the seat of his trousers threw him by means of his strength and long arms as one witness stoutly insists twelve feet away returning to the stand and throwing aside his hat he inaugurated his campaign with the following brief but pertinent declaration fellow citizens i presume you all know who i am i am humble abraham lincoln i have been solicited by many friends to become a candidate for the legislature my politics are short and sweet like the old woman's dance and i am in favor of the national bank i am in favor of the internal improvement system and a high protective tariff these are my sentiments if elected i shall be thankful if not it will be all the same three infernal bores one day when president lincoln was alone and busily engaged on an important subject involving vexation and anxiety he was disturbed by the unwarranted intrusion of three men who without apology proceeded to lay their claim before him the spokesman of the three reminded the president that they were the owners of some torpedo or other warlike invention which if the government would only adopt would soon crush the rebellion now said the spokesman we have been here to see you time and again you have referred us to the secretary of war the chief of ordnance and the general of the army and they give us no satisfaction we have been kept here waiting till money and patience are exhausted and we now come to demand of you a final reply to our application mr lincoln listened to this insolent tirade and at its close the old twinkle came into his eye you three gentlemen remind me of a story i once heard said he of a poor little boy out west who had lost his mother his father wanted to give him a religious education and so placed him in the family of a clergyman whom he directed to instruct the little fellow carefully in the scriptures every day the boy had to commit to memory and recite one chapter of the bible things proceeded smoothly until they reached that chapter which details the story of the trial of shadrach meshach and abednego in the fiery furnace when asked to repeat these three names the boy said he had forgotten them his teacher told him that he must learn them and gave him another day to do so the next day the boy again forgot them now said the teacher you have again failed to remember those names and you can go no farther until you have learned them i will give you another day on this lesson and if you don't repeat the names i will punish you a third time the boy came to recite and got down to the stumbling block when the clergyman said now tell me the names of the men in the fiery furnace oh said the boy here comes those three infernal boars i wish the devil had them having received their final answer the three patriots retired and at the cabinet meeting which followed the president in high good humor related how he had dismissed his unwelcome visitors lincoln's men were hustlers in the chicago convention of eighteen sixty the fight for seward was maintained with desperate resolve until the final ballot was taken 
thurlow weed was the seward leader and he was simply incomparable as a master in handling a convention with him were governor morgan henry j raymond of the new york times with william m Everts as chairman of the new york delegation whose speech nominating seward was the most impressive utterance of his life the bates men bates was afterwards lincoln's attorney general were led by frank blair the only republican congressman from a slave state who was nothing if not heroic aided by his brother montgomery afterwards lincoln's postmaster general who was a politician of uncommon cunning with him was horace greeley who was chairman of the delegation from the then almost inaccessible state of oregon it was lincoln's friends however who were the hustlers of that battle they had men for sober counsel like david davis men of supreme sagacity like leonard sweat men of tireless effort like norman b judd and they had what was more important than all a seething multitude wild with enthusiasm for old abe a slow horse on one occasion when mr lincoln was going to attend a political convention one of his rivals a liveryman provided him with a slow horse hoping that he would not reach his destination in time mr lincoln got there however and when he returned with the horse he said you keep this horse for funerals don't you oh no replied the liveryman well i'm glad of that for if you did you'd never get a corpse to the grave in time for the resurrection dodging browsing presidents general mcclellan after being put in command of the army resented any interference by the president lincoln in his anxiety to know the details of the work in the army went frequently to mcclellan's headquarters that the president had a serious purpose in these visits mcclellan did not see i enclose a card just received from a lincoln he wrote to his wife one day it shows too much deference to be seen outside in another letter to mrs mcclellan he spoke of being interrupted by the president and secretary seward who had nothing in particular to say and again of concealing himself to dodge all enemies in shape of browsing presidents etc i am becoming daily more disgusted with this administration perfectly sick of it he wrote early in october and a few days later i was obliged to attend a meeting of the cabinet at eight p m and was bored and annoyed there are some of the greatest geese in the cabinet i have ever seen enough to tax the patience of job a greenback legend at a cabinet meeting once the advisability of putting a legend on greenbacks similar to the in god we trust legend on the silver coins was discussed and the president was asked what his view was he replied if you are going to put a legend on the greenback i would suggest that of peter and paul silver and gold we have not but what we have will give you god's best gift to man in one of mr lincoln's notable religious utterances was his reply to a deputation of colored people at baltimore who presented him a bible he said in regard to the great book i have only to say it is the best gift which god has ever given man all the good from the savior of the world is communicated to us through this book but for this book we could not know right from wrong all those things desirable to man 
are contained in it scalping in the black hawk war when lincoln was president he told this story of the black hawk war the only time he ever saw blood in this campaign was one morning when marching up a little valley that makes into the rock river bottom to reinforce a squad of outposts that were thought to be in danger they came upon the tent occupied by the other party just at sunrise the men had neglected to place any guard at night and had been slaughtered in their sleep as the reinforcing party came up the slope on which the camp had been made lincoln saw them all lying with their heads towards the rising sun and the round red spot that marked where they had been scalped gleamed more redly yet in the ruddy light of the sun this scene years afterwards he recalled with a shudder matrimonial advice for a while during the civil war general fremont was without a command one day in discussing fremont's case with george w julian president lincoln said he did not know where to place him and that it reminds him of the old man who advised his son to take a wife to which the young man responded all right whose wife shall i take owed lots of money on april fourteenth eighteen sixty five a few hours previous to his assassination president lincoln sent a message by congressman schuyler colfax vice-president during general grant's first term to the miners in the rocky mountains and the regions bounded by the pacific ocean in which he said now that the rebellion is overthrown and we know pretty nearly the amount of our national debt the more gold and silver we mine we make the payment of that debt so much easier now i am going to encourage that in every possible way we shall have hundreds of thousands of disbanded soldiers and many have feared that their return home in such great numbers might paralyze industry by furnishing suddenly a greater supply of labor than there will be demand for i am going to try to attract them to the hidden wealth of our mountain ranges where there is room enough for all immigration which even the war has not stopped will land upon our shores hundreds of thousands more per year from overcrowded europe i intend to point them to the gold and silver that await for them in the west tell the miners for me that i shall promote their interest to the utmost of my ability because their prosperity as the prosperity of the nation and said he his eye kindling with enthusiasm we shall prove in a very few years that we are indeed the treasury of the world on the lord's side president lincoln made a significant remark to a clergyman in the early days of the war let us have faith mr president said the minister that the lord is on our side in this great struggle mr lincoln quietly answered i am not at all concerned about that for i know that the lord is always on the side of the right but it is my constant anxiety and prayer that i and this nation may be on the lord's side end of part twenty two everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.